Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Kevin Dibley brings us a series, Gospel Friendships, Finding Joy and Resilience Through Deeply Devoted, Christ-Centered Friendships. One of the greatest gifts of the Christian life is the gift of gospel friendship. We were not made to live this life alone and being faithful to Christ in a world of sin, hardship, and disappointment is challenging to say the least. The Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Philippi to express his great joy in their deep friendship and sacrificial partnership in his life and ministry. He writes them not only to thank them, but also to encourage them to not let their dedication to one another waver. One of the great joys of being a Christian is having other Christians in your corner helping you live for and to love Christ supremely. During this study, we're going to look at Paul's friendship letter to the Philippians and we're going to learn what real gospel friendships look like. Do you want a good gospel friend? Are you willing to be one? Let's worship together. Well, thank you, worship team, for helping us um, this morning in worship. And uh, trust that as you've been worshiping, wherever you are, you've sensed the Spirit of God helping you and encouraging you. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. We'll pick up where we left last week. Um, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. And I hope you've sensed the hopefulness of the gospel and worship already this morning and the confidence that we have in Christ and the assurance that he will hold us fast, and thank you, brother, for your prayer. Um, I just rejoice that when we're going through Philippians, the Apostle Paul, who is writing from prison, is anchored in the hope of the gospel. And so as you're making your way through Philippians with me, there's just this constant um, repetition of Paul's joy and also his joy not only in the gospel and in Christ, but the people of God. In Paul's joy in Philippians, he's writing for the joy of the Philippian Christians. And so what I want you to see and what we're about to look at in this text this morning is Paul's ability to anticipate joy. He talks about joy in the future tense. He's already talked about the fact that he now has joy in the believers and in the gospel at what God's done so far, but now he's going to talk future-oriented, and I will rejoice. And the question I want you to think about is, when you think about the future, is it shaped by joy? Is your expectation because of Christ's joy? Can you say today with certainty that you will possess joy in the future? Because of the gospel, every Christian should be able to say that the future holds certain joy for us and that we can anticipate it, and by faith, this is one of the things that faith does, anxiety causes you to run ahead and anticipate imagined worries and bring them back and enjoy them now, right? Anxiety is about the future. We just go get the worst case scenario and bring them back and sit here miserable in it. Faith allows you to anticipate future joys, and bring them down, and rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's my goal this morning, to empower you to live for Christ, knowing the certainty of joy because of Jesus Christ for us in the future. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18b. After he says that because Christ is proclaimed, whether in pretense or in truth, he rejoices. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers 
and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope. Do you even hear the language there? I mean, the language is full of hope. It's full of expectation, and, and I hope that if you did not come to worship this morning rock solid in hope and full of expectation, the Lord will change that for you. But he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, Paul says, is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So I love this because the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian believers, and he's writing from prison, and he's got all kinds of hope for them. He's got hope for them because he has hope for himself because he has hope in Christ. And as he's writing with expectation and hope with regard to them, he is seeking to bolster them in their faith and in their ministry and in their mission. And, uh, you know, one of the things we have to realize in our lives is that we encounter experiences in our lives where we are brought to weigh out the purpose of our lives, the priorities of our lives. You ever had one of those wake-up moments? where the Lord just stops you and makes you evaluate what's really important in your life. I mean, that happens all the time. I don't think I have a week where I don't get a phone call from somebody having one of those moments where something has happened and suddenly all of the things that they've put their hopes in and expected has been shaken and they're brought back to the only thing that can actually give them hope. And so um, in... Uh, in Paul's writing here, where's his hope? Christ. Where's his joy? In Christ. And that cannot be shaken. Uh, Jeff Thomas, who uh, pastors a Baptist church in Aberwistheth, okay, I can't say it. It's one of those towns in the coast of Wales. Um, he's been pastoring there for since 1965. He tells in a sermon on this particular text of Scripture of the story of Candida Lysette Green. And uh, she wrote a book, and it was published by Doubleday in 2002, called Over the Hills and Far Away, where she gets news that she needs to go to the doctor and um, get biopsied for breast cancer. And she goes and has her tests and discovers that she is indeed malignant. So she begins to go through the ordeal of treatment, and she's treated, and she comes through it. And as she gets to the end of her treatment and comes through it, she does this um, fundraiser for, for a cancer clinic in Abernethy, where she rides horse from, from, um, uh, the, from Yorkshire to the, up to the Scottish border. And as she's 
writing the book and describing the journey, she describes all the ups and downs, not just of what's going on geographically, but what's going on inside her, how she's processing it. And uh, Jeff Thomas says that as she writes, there's no self-pity, there's no um, tone of despair or great emotion, but rather she's just giving solid advice about how to deal with coping with cancer. But she concludes with these words, only when faced with death does the purpose of being alive come so, become so clear. Only when faced with death does the purpose of being alive become so clear. In the text that we're reading, Paul is in prison and the reality of death is very possible. You can hear it in what I've just read as he thinks about, you know, I could be freed, but I could be put to death. And as he doesn't know exactly what the outcome is going to be, he has his expectations and his thoughts. What's very clear to Paul is ultimately what matters to him, what his priority is, what his purpose is. As she wrote, it's only in the face of death that you discover what the purpose of life is. That's how Paul's writing to these believers. You and I need to think of how tuned in he is to God, how clarified he is about the meaning and the purpose of his life. And when we hear Paul, we're supposed to get that clarity for our lives. And when Paul writes about it, what we understand is he is filled with joy. Isn't it great to look at what the purpose of your life is in the face of death and realize we of all people have reason to rejoice. Paul's joy doesn't go down, his joy goes up. His concern isn't elevated, his convictions are increased. He has Christ. And having Christ, he has hope. And having Christ and having hope, he has purpose, even in the middle of his struggles. And so here's what I want to point out to you this morning. I want to know, I hope you do, I want to know how Paul can say, future tense, I will rejoice. Don't you want to say that? You want to say, no matter what comes next week, I will rejoice. Do you want to say what comes a year ahead? I don't know what's going to happen. Is COVID going to go on two more months or two more years? For the Christian, the, the answer is, whatever the Lord, sovereign Lord, deems, I will, what? Rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord? Always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now the question is, how do you actually do that? How do you actually do that? And I think it's crucial because this is going to give you the opportunity to share your hope with other people. And so here's what I want you to see this morning Future joy, that's what we're talking about, I will rejoice, future joy depends on the clarity of your future goals and your confidence in future grace. That's what I want you to see in the text. Future joy depends on the clarity of your future goals. Can you see where you're headed under Christ, why you're headed where you're headed, you have clarity. See, one of the things that happens with people, if you've got the wrong goals going into the future, you're going to have a lot of grief. Amen. you got the wrong goals, you're going to have a lot of grief. If your goal is success in finances, security in health, your family being held together, do you see how tenuous all that is if the Lord shakes it? You've got the wrong goals, you're going to have a lot of grief. You have the right goals and you know you've got a God who can deliver on those goals, then you can rejoice. 
So future joy depends on the clarity of your future goals and your confidence in future grace. And so what I want to show you in this text that I just read to you, how clear Paul is about his future goals and how confident he is in Christ for those goals. And so let me just be real clear for you this morning, just as you're thinking about this, let me be really clear and say, here's Paul's future goals. His first goal is gospel faithfulness. Gospel faithfulness. His goal isn't easy circumstances. His goal is to stay faithful to Christ and the gospel. Secondly, I'm going to call it koinonia with Christ, but it's gospel fellowship, actually eternal fellowship. Paul's goal isn't comfort in this life. It's communion with Christ forever. His goal is to be with Christ. And thirdly, it's gospel fruitfulness. As Paul looks at his life and his circumstances, he realizes that Jesus is sovereign over all his circumstances, not just trying to hold Paul together, but to make Paul fruitful for the advancement of the gospel, for the edification of the body, for the building up of the church. And so Paul has confidence that he's going to have joy because he believes that his goals are backed by grace. His gospel goals are backed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me walk you through this text and show you these together. Here's the first one. Paul's earthly goal, his clear earthly goal, is to be faithful to the finish line. Do you want that as your goal? To be faithful to God to the finish line. Look at verse 21. Paul says he's going to rejoice. Uh, or verse 19, he says, For I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with what? Full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored where? In my body, whether by life or by death. Is Paul worried about whether or not he's going to live or die? No. He says, whether I live or die, this is what I want to happen. That Christ would be honored in my body. That's his goal. Gospel faithfulness. Paul's joy comes from his passion to be courageous for Christ. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. I especially want you to think about this if you're not courageous. Because his confidence and his joy with regard to being courageous for Christ is that, th- is that this trial that he's in, in prison, in Caesarea, appealing to go to Rome, would not bring him to shame, but rather that he'll be enabled by God's grace to be faithful to the end. you get that? Paul has the goal of being courageous in the face of the possibility of being executed. That's his goal. But where's his confidence? Right. His confidence is that Christ is enough. His grace is enough that he'll deliver on that. That's where his confidence is. Paul's confidence and expectation is not in himself. And you and I need to ponder this because if we begin to think about whatever could come into our lives in the next week, the next year, the next years of our lives, we need to stop and say, what's the clear goal of my life as a Christian? And the clear goal is, whatever Christ brings, I want to honor Christ in my life. 
I want to live for Christ. I want to exalt Christ. And I think, well, sometimes we do this anxiety thing. What if he brings this? You know, you ever watch somebody else and think, man, if I was in their shoes, I don't know how I'd happen, how to do that, right? If I was in their shoes, what would I do? I think many of us look at that and go, wow, how is that person doing it? Well, Paul in prison is writing them and not saying, you know how I'm doing it? I'm tougher than the rest of you suckers. I got more biblical backbone. Sometimes you read Paul and you think he sounds that way, right? But that's not actually how the Bible reads. That's not even what he's saying here. Let me just show you in this text what Paul's saying. Number one, Paul expects not to save himself, but to be delivered. Pick up that on that word deliverance. If you look at verse um, 19, he says, I know how through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my what? Deliverance. Is deliverance something you do for yourself? That's something that's done for you. Paul believes that he's going to be delivered. Now, some people might say what he means by that is that he would es- escape imprisonment, but that's not what he means. Because he actually says that whether I live or I die, I'll remain what? Courageous for Jesus Christ. So Paul's expectation is to be delivered. We've studied this and memorized it in Psalm 34, where David writes, the psalmist writes and says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Aren't you glad the Lord's a deliverer? That he delivers us from our fears? Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall not be ashamed. That's what He says here in verse 20, I will not be at all be what? Ashamed. The language here is not saying that Paul will not be ashamed of himself because he hasn't been courageous. That's not what the language is teaching. It actually means he will not be ashamed, put to shame by those who are going to mock him for putting his trust in Christ. I will not be ashamed because God will deliver me. His hope is in the Lord. He says, this poor man cried, and who heard him? The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Who's the deliverer? The Lord, right. It's the Lord who delivers him. That's where his confidence is that he would be delivered. Now Paul's ambition, his singular ambition is to be courageous for Christ, that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's his goal, that I would be courageous under the circumstances. If I get pulled up and thrown into a den of lions in one of Nero's auditoriums, one of the stadiums, I expect that the Lord will deliver me, not from the lions, but from cowardice. If he wants me to live, I'll be courageous. If he wants me to die, I'll be courageous. But I'll be courageous because of the Lord. That's his goal. One commentator writes and says on this, you and I need to be aware of the fact that when Paul talks about being courageous, he's not talking about his own man-made courage. 
In fact, our perception of Paul as being super strong in himself often doesn't resonate with Scripture. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul admits that when he was at the church at Corinth, he was with them, in quotes, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Is that your view of Paul at the Corinthian church? That's under the inspiration of Scripture. Paul was with them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10, Paul is criticized by some people. Listen to how they criticize him. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. (laughs) How's that for a compliment? How was Paul's sermon last week? Well, he writes a pretty good book, but... He's not very impressive physically when he's present. His words and his body are not weighty or strong. On one occasion in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul asked the church to pray for him at all times that he might declare the gospel boldly. Why is he asking for prayer at all times that he might declare the gospel boldly as he ought to? Because this kind of boldness comes from the Lord. This kind of courage comes comes from the Lord. So I want you to look back at that Philippians 1 text and look at verse 19. Where does this kind of boldness come from? He says, I know that through what? Your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And so, so here's, here's what he's saying here is, that the way I maintain my courage and the reason I can rejoice is because you are praying and the Spirit of Jesus responds to the prayers of God's people. Isn't that a good reason to be part of the body of Christ? Doesn't that elevate the power and the purpose of praying for one another? Courage comes when Christians pray and the Spirit of Christ comes to glorify Christ in the lives of His people. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to make a big deal out of Jesus, to point people to Jesus. You know how he points people to Jesus? By making you point people to Jesus, especially at the very point of weakness. He he makes you courageous where normally you'd be crushed. You hopeful where you would normally be despairing. You strong and determined where typically you would quit, throw up your hands, and walk away. How many of you would have quit if you were the Apostle Paul dealing with the church at Corinth or the church at Galatia, right? You look at Paul and you're thinking, man, look what he has to deal with. What keeps him going? Two years in Caesarea in prison. The Jews trying to assassinate him. The the rulers trying to decide what to do with him. What gives him courage? God's people praying in the Spirit and by the Spirit, encouraging and strengthening the Apostle Paul. Isn't that why we need each other? Can I talk about gospel friendship just for a second? How many times do we as Christian friends pray for struggling Christian friends, not that their problem would go away, but that their courage would go up? Now, it doesn't mean we don't pray 
for healing. It's not that we don't pray for resolutions of family crises. But many times the reality is it's that the prison and the struggle and the hardship is the place where the power of God is made known. And so one of the things that Christian friends do is they pray for Christian friends to have courage, especially where they wouldn't. Especially where they wouldn't. That's why Paul says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Gospel friends don't just pray for escape from trials. They pray for courage and boldness for Christ in those trials. Do you get what I'm saying? Future joy requires clarity about future goals and confidence in future grace. So future joy has clarity about my future goal. What's my first goal? Help me be faithful to Jesus no matter what the circumstances are. What's the future grace? That the prayers of God's people and the Spirit of Christ will enable me to do that. That's why Paul can rejoice. I don't know what's going to happen in prison. I have ideas about what happened. I can't tell you what the future is, but I can tell you who holds the future and who holds me in his hand. So can I ask you a couple important questions right now? Here they are. I've got a list of them here. How much of joylessness in our lives as Christians is because we have the wrong ambition? Amen. Right? My joy, if my goal is to get out of my trial rather than to glorify Jesus, then I'm going to be miserable if Christ keeps me in that trial for the purpose of glorifying his name. Does gospel faithfulness to Christ matter more to you in your trials than escaping those trials? Is that a good reflective question to ask? I'm going through trials. What's the chief goal? Is it to be faithful to Christ in this trial? Do you believe that God will always deliver you? Do you believe that? Do you understand he'll always deliver us? Christ is one. If, if, if God ultimately doesn't deliver us, then he's disowning his son. He's dishonoring his son. Christ has bought our forgiveness. He's guaranteed our inheritance. He is ensured that we are his. If God doesn't deliver us, then he isn't delivering what he's promised to his son because his son bought us with his blood at the cross. Our deliverance is guaranteed because Christ guaranteed it on the cross. God will deliver us. Have you been praying? Here's a question. Have you been praying for your Christian friends who are going through trials for courage to stand up for Jesus in the middle of them all? That's the first thing. We need to be praying. Courage. Gospel faithfulness. Number two. Gospel, friendship, and fellowship with Christ. Here's Paul's clear. That's his, his earthly priority, to be courageous and faithful to Christ. His preference, his clear preference is what? <laughs> get it on. <laughs> to get to the, through the finish line, to be finally past the finish line. Verse 21, he says, For me to what? Live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's joy in the face of his trials, the trials that were before him, is that these trials had no bearing upon Paul's chief desire. What was his chief desire? To be with Christ. 
Get, what would happen if they executed Paul? He'd be with Christ. He can't lose. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live, I get to serve Christ. If I die, I get to be with Christ, which is what? Much better. I'd rather be with Christ. What does that say about Paul? What it says about Paul is as he's lived and walked and served Christ, Christ has become sweeter every day. We used to sing an old song when I was a kid, sweeter as the days go by, sweeter as the days go by. Okay, that's close to the tune. I'm not sure if that was it. <laughs> but we used to sing it, you know. And some people would say, really, is that how it goes? Yes, if you're communing with Christ. Yes, if you're trusting in Christ. It's actually in the trials that he sanctifies us and shows us that the things that we hoped would give life don't give life, and he never gives up on his people. He's most precious. Chuck Swindoll, in reflecting on Paul here, says, There can be no doubt Paul's dearest friend, in fact, his most intimate relationship on earth was Christ. No one else meant more to him. Therefore, the thought of being with him brought Paul great joy. Is Jesus your best friend? Is the thought that if he called you home, a, a delightful thought to be with him. You know, some people think about heaven and they think, boy, that's going to be boring. Can you imagine saying to Jesus, being with you is going to be boring? If I said that to you, hey, you want to hang out with me? Why? Being with you is going to be boring. You know what that means? The only way you can possibly say being with Jesus is boring is that you've never been with Jesus. You walk with Jesus and you pray with Jesus and you learn of Jesus. That's what happened with Paul. Paul discovered that Jesus was his best friend. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul is about to die, he says he got pulled into trial. Guess who showed up? Nobody but Jesus. Listen to what he writes. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. Have you ever had your friends desert you? This bail on you? Do you know what that feels like? This was his Christian friends. Bailed on him. But he says, may it not be held against him, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Stood beside me, gave me strength. Do you think that would make Paul love Jesus? That when he walked through the trial, he says, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. What was at stake? Paul gets pulled in to a Roman court and he's called up. And any witnesses for the Apostle Paul of Saul, Saul of Tarsus? Any, any witnesses? Where are your friends, Saul? No one. And he stands up and he feels the Holy Spirit give him strength to say, I am on trial for the resurrection from the dead. And he begins to preach Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And Paul isn't saying, you suckers were cowardly and I was strong. Paul says, I would never have done it if Jesus hadn't stood with me. You know why he loves him? He loves him because he is a faithful friend. There is a friend that stays closer than your brother. The Bible says Jesus is that friend. 
And you know what happens? When people get freed from fear about circumstances, when they know that Jesus will be with them, when they long for the life to come, when they are with that friend, enjoying that friend, living with that friend in fellowship forever, when that shapes them, it sets them free to be courageous and to do things they never would have done before. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continuing looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people say, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world are those who thought the most about the next. I'm going to stop there. It's a long thing. He says, you want to see the people who abolished slavery? You know who they were? They were the people who believed Jesus would stand with them when they stood up against slavery. And they stood up even though it could cost them their lives. But they stood up because they would, even though it would cost their lives because they knew this was not their life. It freed them. Freed them to stand. Freed them to make a difference. It didn't disconnect them from the world. They were able to risk for the kingdom of God because they had no risk for eternity because Jesus was their Savior and Lord. That's what Christ does. And you say, you and I need to see. We need to have a clear view of our future goals. You want future joy. What's our future goal? It's to be with Jesus. Will we be with Jesus? Is there grace to get you there? Yes. Jesus is the one who will come and take us home. He will lead us like the great shepherd. So, you know, this is the the great need of our souls. The great need of our souls is greater intimacy with Jesus. The more you know Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more future joy you will have. Oswald Chambers said, a life of intimacy with God is characterized by joy. And uh, Francis Chan said, this is the difficulty with many of us, we don't develop intimacy, we don't make the time to develop intimacy with Christ. That's why we need trials. That's why we need COVID. That's why we need cancer. That's why we need God shutting down our race after other things to make the reality of Christ precious to us. Francis Chan says our lack of intimacy with Jesus is often due to our refusal to unplug, shut off communication from all others so that we can be alone with him. John Owen wrote in communion with the triune God, would a soul continually I Jesus' everlasting tenderness and compassion, and it could not bear an hour's absence from him. I remember Jesus when he was young saying to his parents, remember he disappeared in Jerusalem, they couldn't find him, and he said, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? What's he saying there? (laughs) Who do you think I love? Where do you think I had to be? You know, and you know, would it be true in your family that they said, where were you the last hour? And you would say, well, where do you think I was? Well, maybe you shouldn't say it that way. <laughs> but, you know, it should be obvious that if you're anywhere, you're with Jesus. If you're leaning anywhere and loving and it's Jesus. And what are you longing for is to be with Jesus. Would it be true that if you were to die, that it would be obvious to everybody in your family that you're the happiest person? That you long to be with the Lord. 
I don't see my kids. I don't see my parents. I'm cut off from them right now. My longing is if I croak before I see the kids, that my kids will be rejoicing because dad is where he wants to be. I long to be with the Lord. So here are a couple of questions. Is your desire with Jesus increasing? Is it increasing? Should it be increasing? Also, would anyone around you or near you understand that longing, that you really long to be with Jesus? You see what he's saying here? If your future goal is to be with Christ, you've got the grace to be there, you can rejoice now. It doesn't matter what people do to you. You are going home. You're going to be with Christ. You're going to be made new. You're going to be taken out of this world. And all things are being done. Isn't that a great, great hope for the people of God? Future joy depends on clarity about your future goals and certainty and confidence about future grace. That's one that you can bank on. Finally, Paul's clear pastoral calling He wants whatever's left of his life to count for the gospel, to be maximally fruitful right to the finish line. So he wants to be faithful, and he wants to be fruitful. So look at verse 25. Paul says with this, verse 25, I am convinced of this. I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for what? For your progress in joining the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So, so Paul's doing the math. He's going, I want to be with Jesus. I'm under trials, right? And I'm praying for courage to get there. To be with Christ would be better. But as I'm looking at all of this, and I know the heart of my Savior whom I love, I get the feeling I'm going to be around a little longer. You know why I get the feeling? Because He loves you. He cares for his church. And as I'm looking at this, he wants you to rejoice in my deliverance. I would rather be with him, but he cares enough about you that he might keep me here a little longer so your joy might be increased and your faith might progress. Is that your goal? What's the goal in raising your kids? Isn't the goal of raising your kids that their joy and their progress in the faith would increase? That they would love Christ more, rejoice in Christ more, grow in Christ. Isn't that the goal of your life? Do you have that clear goal? That my life, the goal of my life is fruitfulness for Jesus. Go back to Jeff Thomas who I quoted earlier. He says, until we die, those two words must be written over every day. Fruitful labor. Is that good? If you live to tomorrow, why are you getting out of bed tomorrow? Fruitful labor. To live, to show, to share, to edify people. It's not to escape our trials. It's not for greater comfort. It's for edifying the sheep, to building up the body, to make a difference. What do you want to do with the last season of your life? I was talking to somebody not too long ago. I think it was with John. I'm not sure. But I was talking about I did. um, I had this situation one time where I I had a, a a senior in my graduating class I used to have a youth group in my basement and one of the girls senior graduating died the day before graduation she was in the shower had an aneurysm and died so there she was it was the end of her life the end of high school and so I got called into the high school 
to the music department because she was part of the music department there, and it was packed, packed with kids in shock and teachers. And so I got to speak to them for a little bit, pray with them for a little bit, and then I said to them, I know you guys don't know what to do with yourself. When school gets dismissed today, if any of you need to come to my house, you can come to my house and pray. You should have seen my house that night. Every room in my house had high school students in. My backyard was full of high school students. My front yard was packed with high school students. They were just suddenly hit with the reality of the brevity of life. We had a park beside our house, high school students. Had, I don't even know how many were there. I just wandered. I walked into the, my girls' bedrooms and there were kids weeping and praying. Walked into my living room, kids weeping and praying. Just a sudden reality that any moment. So, you know, when I talk about what do you want to do in the last season of your life, the last season of your life could be when you're 20. Or it could be when you're 80. But Paul says, whatever the Lord has given me, this is what it is. Fruitful labor. That I want my life to make a difference for Jesus. I want to build up others and strengthen them. J.I. Packer just died I encourage you, if you've never read Knowing God, read Knowing God. It's a hard slug, I think, for some, but it's a, it's a good book. It's his classic. There's other books that he's written. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God is another good one that he's wrote. But J.I. Packer um, describes the end of his life. He died at 93, I think he was. He says, as I look back on the life that I've lived, I would like to be remembered as a voice, a voice that focused on the authority of the Bible the glory of our Lord Jesus, and the wonder of his substitutionary sacrifice and atonement for our sins. Is that, cla- is that clarity about his goal? I want to be known to have him been clear about the cross of Jesus Christ. May that be my clear goal. <laughs> when they bury me, may they say, he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mary Ann and I went to Wales, remember, and we tracked looking for Martin Lloyd-Jones' grave. And we went to this village where he's buried, and we went to the historical society. They hadn't even heard of him. We're thinking, how do you not even hear one of the greatest preachers in England? We finally found out where the grave is, found, went down this one little road, little cemetery on the outside of this Welsh village, came to the stone, and all is written on Martin Lloyd-Jones under his name. All it's written under is, um, I, what was it? I called to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how his grave reads. I thought, that's, that's what Packer's saying here. He says, I would like to be remembered as a voice calling Christian people to holiness and challenging lapses in Christian moral standards. He did that. I should like to be remembered as someone who was always courteous in, compromise, in controversy, but without compromise. I ask you to thank God with me for the way that he has led me, and I wish, hope, and pray that you will enjoy the same clear leading from him. Hear what he's saying there? He says, I was clearly called of God. I had a clear vision for my life. And he says, I hope you have that and the same help in the, doing the task that he sets you that I have enjoyed. And if your joy matches my joy as we continue in our Christian lives, well, you'll be blessed indeed. Isn't that a great statement? What's he saying? I was clear about my calling, and God gave me the strength to fulfill my calling. Thank God. Happy as can be. 
That's what future joy is. Future joy is having clarity about your future goals and confidence or conviction about future grace. He says, thank God. If you have that, you'll have joy too. Billy Graham died a couple of years ago, and a a reporter from the Charlotte Observer interviewed him knowing he was coming to the end of his life, and they arranged to have Billy Graham's statement articulated after his death. So after his death, the Charlotte Observer published this from Billy Graham. He said, I hope I will be remembered as someone who was faithful, faithful to God, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, faithful to the calling God gave me, not only as an evangelist, but as a husband, as a father, and a friend. I'm sure I failed in many ways, but I take comfort in Christ's promise of forgiveness, and I take comfort also in God's ability to take even our most imperfect efforts and use them for his glory. Isn't that encouraging? This is not about you being perfect. This is about God being faithful. He's given you something to do. You're not perfect at it, but he is powerful. I can do all things through Christ who sanctions me. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to get to in Philippians. That's how Philippians ends. Billy Graham writes, By the time you read this, I'll be in heaven. And I write, as I write this, I'm looking forward with great anticipation to the day when I will be in God's presence forever. For me to live is... Christ but to die is gain I'm convinced that heaven is far more glorious than anything we can possibly imagine right now and I'm I look forward not only to its wonder and peace but also to the joy of being reunited with those who have gone before me especially my dear wife Ruth the Bible says now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face then he adds these words but I won't be in heaven because I preach to large crowds or because I've tried to live a good life, I'll be in heaven for one reason. Many years ago, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to make our forgiveness possible and rose again from the dead to give us eternal life. Do you know you will go to heaven when you die? You can by committing your life to Jesus Christ today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Billy Graham's final words, put your trust in Christ today. Isn't that a great word? Isn't that the best word to leave your life with? Your last word? So let me ask you these final questions. How do you want to be remembered? What's the lasting impact of your life? Are you more committed than ever to make your life count for the sake of the kingdom of Christ? What is your goal for the final season of your life? Do you understand that there is great joy in seeking to be maximally fruitful for Christ in all seasons, in all situations? So Paul's in prison. (laughs) What's he praying? Use me. Paul's suffering injustice and persecution. What's he say? Make it count. Who can make prison count? You see, Paul's in prison. Jesus is not in prison. Paul's in chains. The gospel is not in chains. Paul is limited, but Paul is unlimited because nothing is impossible with Jesus Christ. Is that your goal?
Future joy means having clarity about your future goals and having confidence in future grace. That's what Paul's teaching here. May we all have this kind of joy. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you for Paul's joy, his future joy. I will rejoice. I pray everyone here today can say, I will rejoice. I will rejoice, dear God, because you will help me to be faithful. I will rejoice because you'll bring me fully home. I will rejoice, dear God, because this little sigh of a life you will make fruitful for the building up the body in the advancement of your kingdom to the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ. May Jesus be glorified in my body, whether in life or in death. Hear our prayer. Hear our praise. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Can you repeat after me this morning what Paul said in this text? I will rejoice. Will you say it with me? I will rejoice. Isn't that great news? That's your future because of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me pray over you. You are going out to minister the gospel. You're going out to share the hope that you have in Christ. Let's pray that God will use us. Father, as your people now go out, give them grace. Give them the grace to see and to savor and to share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that around the throne of Jesus will be joyful, glad-hearted worshipers forever and ever delighting in the Savior, praising His name. So help us, dear God, and give us strength and courage, we ask, in His wonderful name and for His sake, we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a great day today in the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.